Welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, a show where we're elevating the voices of black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. We're your hosts, Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen. This podcast is sponsored by the National Center for Women in Information Technology, or NCWIT. NCWIT is a nonprofit organization that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase participation of all women in the field of computing. Kyla and I are representatives of the Institute for African American Mentoring and Computing Sciences, or IMCS, which serves as a national resource for Black and African American students, faculty, and industry professionals in computing. Special thanks goes to our listeners who contribute to the podcast by supporting our online store, which you can find at our website, www.modernfigurespodcast.com. All right. Today we have a special guest here with us today. We have Dr. Juan Gilbert. Hey, Juan. Hey, Kyla. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you're here. So we typically don't read people's whole bios, but I'm going to read a a good portion of his because y'all need to know if you have not met Juan, who we have here. So Juan Gilbert is the bank's preeminence chair in human centered computing and the chair of the computer and information science and engineering department at the university of Florida, AKA where me and Jeremy work, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) where he leads the human experience research lab. Dr. Gilbert has research projects and spoken language systems, advanced learning technologies, usability and accessibility, ethno computing, which is like culturally relevant computing and, databases, data mining. He has 180 articles, given more than 250 talks, more than $25 million in research funding. And if that's not enough, he is a fellow of the American Association of the Advancement of Science, or AAAS. He's also a member of the National Academy of Vendors. In 2012, he received the Presidential Award for Excellence in Science, Mathematics, Engineering, Mentoring from President Barack Obama, mm. the only president I acknowledge at this point. But <laughs> be that as it may, he also received the AAAS 2014 Mentor Award. I actually nominated him for it, so that was cool. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> and he was also recently named one of the 50 most important African Americans in technology. He was also named a 2015-2016 AAAS Limelson Innovation Ambassador, Speak Technology Luminary by Speak Technology Magazine, and a national role model by Minority Access Inc. I'm out of breath. I'm not even going to read the rest of this, yeah, but also so. Juan is the PI, which is the Principal Investigator for the IMCS grant, which is a broadening participation in computing effort. It's called um, IMCS, as you guys know, is the Institute for African American Mentoring, Computing Sciences, and Juan is our boss. So let's Mm. go ahead and get started because Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure when you were growing up, you didn't just automatically set out and say, hey, I'm going to do all of these things. So like we wanted to know what was life like, like growing up? (laughs) Growing up, well, I'm from Ohio place called Hamilton between Cincinnati and Dayton and growing up it was I always wanted to be a scientist and it was interesting because I played sports I didn't my family none of them had gone to college my dad had an eighth grade education my mother did graduate from high school I was the first in my family to go to college but I was always intrigued by science I wanted to invent something do the next thing solve a problem and so that was my, my passion. And so my, the thing that moved me was to be not only a scholar, but a scholar athlete. 
And so for me, it was just one of these things I knew I wanted to do is solve problems. And that's that's what led me. That's weird. <laughs> Did you have like any special programs <laughs> like in elementary, middle, high school around like STEM or science specifically? No, I did not. Um, we, my parents got me a chemistry kid. <laughs> they got me a bunch of different things. My dad uh, had his own paint and body shop. And so I would go over there and work on cars and things like that. But we didn't have any structured programming for people like me that was interested in those things. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of found my own way. I think that I said it's weird because most people don't think of being like really good in school, but then also being really athletic. Yeah. Not like a thing that people set out to do. It's just, it happens. Right. Like I was a jock or a nerd and not both. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Which one weren't you actually good at? <laughs> I was actually good at both. Mm. Uh had scholarships for basketball okay. and I had scholarships for academics. So I decided to take the academic scholarship and, and it was my choice. What was your sport? Basketball. Nice. Hmm. I don't know. We gotta see you down at <laughs> down at the gym to I was about to say, do you believe that? Because <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> it might surprise you. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I will surprise you. <laughs> maybe. Do you still get out there? I was about to say maybe the children get surprised. No, I don't I don't go out anymore. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things that I don't want to get injured. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't go out and do that anymore. <laughs> but uh yeah, I I did play basketball and had basketball scholarship offers. So, it was just my choice. So, when you went to college, did you set out to go into computer science? No, I did not. I actually went to college determined to be a chemistry major. Hmm. And uh, my first year, I'll never forget it. I was taking advanced chemistry and did very well. And one day, just walking through the hallway, a senior pulled me aside and said, Juan, you're really good at chemistry. You're going to do well here. You're going to graduate and you're going to go to grad school. I said, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> go where? He said, grad school, that's what we do in, in chemistry. I said, I got to go to school again? <laughs> so I didn't know what graduate school was. I didn't have any clue what that meant. I thought you went to college to get a job, and mm -hmm. that was the way you set yourself apart. So at that time, I was disappointed. So what did I do? I changed my major to computer science or <laughs> systems analysis to avoid going to graduate school. That's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> so you're just trying to avoid more school and still ended up in more school. Exactly. <laughs> still ended up with a whole PhD, like the most school. Yeah, I know. It, it was unexpected. And that just goes to show you, I didn't have anyone advising me, telling me what these things were. Wow. And it, it worked out, but I didn't have anyone to mentor me or tell me these things. Apparently, when you had someone to tell you, you went the other direction. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Because if That's you had true. told someone, I'm not going to be a chemistry major because chemistry majors go to grad school, they would have been like, uh, what other major do you think doesn't have to? So, Wow. So you do computer science and then the whole time you're trying not to go to grad school. So how did you end up in a PhD program for computer science? <laughs> well, that's an interesting story, too. So I changed my major and I was at Miami University in Ohio and I ended up winning a scholarship. Uh, as a computer science slash systems analysis major. And that scholarship was from NCR Corporation in Dayton, Ohio. 
What is NCR? NCR is at the time it was just NCR. I, people said it was National Cash Register. They invented cash reg, cash registers and mm-hmm. things like that, and they moved into computers and things like that. But anyway, NCR uh, gave me the scholarship, which also came with an internship. Mm-hmm. So I went there that summer. Uh, I remember going to work. They gave me stuff to do. I got it done. I said, all right, I'll see y'all later. And they said, no, you got to stick around and look busy. And <laughs> my mental model was that growing up, you do your chores, you do your work, then you go play. I thought I did everything you asked me to, so now I can go. That's not how it worked. So long story short, the corporate environment really wasn't my thing. And mm-hmm. I was discouraged. I remember going back to school that year, and I took this class. Uh, it was called Stochastic Systems. And the person that taught the class, coincidentally, was a dean, Dr. David Haddad. And I sat in the first seat, front row. And Dr. <laughs> Haddad, I hated that class. And Dr. Haddad was a handout kind of guy. I would fall asleep oh. in his class. He'd get the handouts and come and wake me up and tell me to hand them out. Mm. And one day... <laughs> Dr. Haddad said, Juan, I want to see you after class. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm in trouble. I don't like this class. I'll be falling asleep. He said, Juan, (laughs) you know what? I know you don't like my class. I get that. But I've been watching you since you've been here. And, you know, I think you'd be a good professor someday. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, no, serious, really? He said, yeah, I've been watching. I know you don't like my class. He said, in fact, you get your PhD, I'll hire you. Wow. So I went out and did my research on what it meant to be a professor. I get to do research on things I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Uh, I teach classes and I can go home when I'm done. (laughs) Um, It all worked out. But it was one thing. Graduate school. school. (laughs) So I ended up going to graduate, graduating, going to work at NCR Corporation. And I went to school at night to get a master's degree at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, long story short, when I was finishing my PhD, Dr. Haddad actually did hire me back as an instructor. So it was a full circle story. But for me, I ended up in graduate school and being a professor because someone saw something in me that I didn't even know that I had. So that's how it worked. Even though you were falling asleep. That's right. amazing. Even falling asleep that's in class, they knew. That's really cool. So then you ended up after that at Auburn. How did that happen? Well, that's another fascinating story. So I went on the market, finishing my PhD. (laughs) Yeah, this is a good one. So I finished my PhD at the University of Cincinnati in the year 2000. So it was 1999, and I was going on the uh, job market. And I'm interviewing a couple of places, and then um, I went to DePaul University, interviewed. That was fascinating because they made me an offer on the spot. And uh, it was funny because I was sitting across the table from the dean and he slid an envelope over to me. Um, Was it full of cash? No, (laughs) I wish. It was an offer letter. But uh, I I interviewed there and a bunch of places. And then I had this interview at Auburn. And I remember uh, telling my fiance at the time, my wife now, Robin. Hey, Robin. That that, uh, I'm going to interview at Auburn. And she said, oh, I know Auburn. That's where Charles Barkley went. Wow. And then she said, where is it? <laughs> and I was like, dang, do I tell her? Mm-mm. And so uh, I, I went and it was in um, it was in March or February, late February, early March. And I remember getting there and getting up the next day to go to my interview and things were blooming and it was warm and I was coming out of the snow in Cincinnati. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. I could like this. Mm-hmm. And of all the places I interviewed, it was the only place I interviewed that I remembered all the faculty. 
So um, long story short, they made me an offer. It turned out to be a good offer, and I ended up accepting, and I ended up at Auburn. <laughs> so in uh, various like interviews and panels, uh, people usually ask, you know, who is Juan Gilbert? You need to Gilbert? talk louder. Because he's, yeah. All right. So in various interviews and panels, when I'm ever asked, like, who is Juan Gilbert that y'all keep talking about? I often refer to you as the black, the Harriet Tubman for black people in computer science. (laughs) (laughs) And you are leading us all to freedom. I know I would not be in the position I'm in right now without you. And we won't even go into that story. But how did all this happen? So how did you get your PhD and then set out and say, you know what? I need to go ahead and cut, copy, paste control V and make a whole bunch more of me what did, how did this all happen well it was intentional uh, and it comes from my experience when I was in graduate school I was the only black computer science PhD student and for many many years I had never met a black person with a PhD in computer science I thought I was the only one in the world <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking gosh nobody else wants to do this and so I was very isolated And in my lab, I looked around the lab and I made a a quick observation, which was my lab was full of people from Asia, particularly China and India. And I said, the Chinese students in particular make this whole process look easy. And I'm thinking it can't be easy for them. I'm the only one here and I'm catching it. So here's what happened. Sorry. I, I made an observation. And that observation was that they... When a student applied to the PhD program from China, they had what I call footprints in the sand, meaning from the time they landed in Cincinnati off that airplane, they had footprints footprints off the plane onto the stage of being hooded for the PhD. (laughs) They knew where to live, where to eat, what classes to take. They had shared information. And so what I did was, in my observation, I said the reason they can do that is they have critical mass, meaning They have at least two people at every stage of the Ph.D. pipeline. Mm -hmm. And I started looking around. I said, can I find a Ph.D. program in computer science or engineering that has only one Chinese student? (laughs) And I couldn't. Hmm. And I said, are they doing this through a systematic thing? I don't know. Is it intentional? I don't know. But you know what? If someone hires me as a professor, I'm going to replicate this model and see if it works for underrepresented students. So what did I do? I got hired and I had an opportunity to hire the students that I wanted and I hired black students and I ended up where I had at least two students from underrepresented groups at every stage of the PhD and we became the number one producer of black PhDs in computing. And so that was the equation and that's how it worked. Let's talk about the haters though. Right. I know you get people who come up to you and say, like, wow, there are a lot of black people in your lab. Why do you only hire black people? That's discrimination. Well, that's, you know, they could say that, but you look (laughs) at my lab, it's more than just black people in the lab. True. So Mm -hmm. that's the first thing I would say. You're you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, So that's just false. But, yeah, we're we're very diverse. We have uh, international students. We have black students, Hispanic uh, Asian students. I mean, it's it's a diverse group, but I've always had a critical mass of black students. And then people don't really say that to me much, especially mm-hmm. not faculty, because I would definitely flip the script and say, well, what does your lab look like? Right. And they have a lot of uniformity in their labs, mm-hmm. much more than I would. Right. So I don't get asked that that often. It's only a problem when you do it. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be it. But again, they don't bring it to my attention. <laughs> Not anymore, anyway. Yeah, yeah, not anymore. They learned. 
you start this lab, you got all the black people, everything's going great. What made you decide, hey, what if we could make this bigger than my lab? Well, the that was the idea was an opportunity from NSF uh, through the Broadening Participation in Computing Program mm -hmm. uh, to make it bigger. And I took advantage of that to try and grow it outside the lab, to make it bigger than just the lab. And we've been successful at that. We've been able to grow this community larger than just my lab. So I know like before IMCS, there were a couple of other grants mm -hmm. yeah. that ultimately informed what has become IMCS. Can you talk about those and like how we got to here? Yes, so it, it all started with a couple of grants from the National Science Foundation or NSF. And one of those was called ARCS, African-American Researchers in <laughs> Computing Sciences. <laughs> Uh, that was probably the one where everyone points to as the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, with ARCS, uh, it was uh, still same program, Brighting Participation in Computing. It goes back to 2006. And in that particular program, I was able to start the ARCS conference, which is now NSBC, National Society of Blacks in Computing. Uh, Ayo. And uh, <laughs> by creating the conference, it helped build community and scale. We were able to scale up. And so... It just started there, and we, we grew, and mm -hmm. that's that was the whole process. And then eventually we became an alliance, a national alliance, through IMCS. So why mentoring? Like what made you say, it's, it's clear that these students need some type of support that relates to mentoring? Well, it was obvious to me because of the isolation that I came from. Mm -hmm. And I started observing that there are many others like I was that are the only one in their department, the only one in the college. So in order to get out of that, in order to be successful, you have to have some kind of mentoring. You have to have a way to be connected. And so through mentoring, that is the way to bring them into this community and to ensure their success through the, the PhD. So speaking of mentoring, um, you were just appointed to a National Academies Committee for the Science of Effective Mentoring in STEM, and STEM with an extra M for medicine. Right. And that report was published. It's gaining traction. It's something that people are going to be able to implement across the country, maybe even beyond the United States. What aspects of mentoring do you feel IMCS promotes that mm, that's good. other organizations in our space don't? Well, the first thing we promote is uh, community. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be able to it, think of it this way. If I want someone to fail, the very first thing I want to do is isolate them. Mm. Yeah. Put them alone. Give them, you know, no connection. So isolation is a form of punishment. Think about when you hear people being isolated on purpose, it's yeah. a form of punishment. Solitary confinement. <laughs> right. It's all punishment. So do the opposite of that. Give yeah. them community. That's step one, and we do that. The other thing we do, we promote, uh, and in the report we talk about this, a constellation of mentors. Yeah. So you have multiple mentors around you that can give you expertise and advice from different perspectives in different areas. Uh, and that's what IMCS does. We're very good at that. So we talk about navigating graduate school 
in, in all aspects of that, meaning uh, you're in class phase, proposal phase, qualifying exam, dissertation, how to navigate those spaces. So we address all those particular things. We address funding, mentoring through funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we hit on all those cylinders, which elevates our ability to help these students be successful through the PhD. Yeah, and though like a lot of the naysayers around some of the efforts that are around broadening participation, they'll always point to the fact that like, you know, stuff isn't replicable on some mm. level. But when you create something where it's not, it's decentralized, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't rely on a specific person and their skill set to make something happen. I think that's what makes efforts like this really powerful. Like we can give you the tools and then you can go to your home campus and continue to leverage the relationships you build through the communities that we've, we've given you. And yeah. most exactly. of them are virtual. Exactly. Yeah. But then we have the conference to be like, family reunion, right. y'all. Family Everybody reunion. come get together. We're still <laughs> then, part of the family. Yeah, and if you don't have community, you can make community there. And I remember when I came to ARCS as, I think I was after my first year at graduate school, somebody was like, hey, I went to... CARMS, which is another conference, and they were like, they were talking about ARCS, which is for computer science folks. You need to go to this. And I was like, all right, I'll apply. I'll go to it. And I went, and I was, you know, one of the only at Michigan, and I met basically Juan's whole lab, (laughs) as well as, you know, other folks who were there. And that became my community. Like, you don't have to have one professor who decides I'm only going to hire these people and set up this large network. You can still have this community if you're the only one at your school. And that was just instrumental. I remember wanting to quit and Wanda being like, nope. Just kidding. No, you're not. You know, right. different folks right. on your lab I would talk to and other folks I met at the conference would not let me quit. One of my first papers I wrote was in collaboration with folks from the conference where we just got in a hallway one day and said, hey, guess what? I think we should talk about culturally relevant designing of technology. Yeah, yep. I have these ideas. Let's put them together and publish a paper. And that was just monumental because my advisor was like, you're not ready to publish. And so I was like, got you. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's IMCS and ARCS. In a nutshell, Mm -hmm. yeah. So back to talking about your lab, which is monumental. You have some pretty cool stats associated with your lab and the folks you have there. Do you want to share those? Sure. The lab has traditionally had great representation amongst Black or African-American PhD students in computing. And we hold about 10% of the nation's Black or computer science PhD students uh, just at the University of Florida right now. In the whole nation. In the whole nation. 10% at one school in one lab. Yes. I like to talk about um, the Great Migration, as I like to refer to it. <laughs> oh. Ooh, <child. laughs> so you yeah, were at Auburn, <laughs> and then you How'd were you like, end up hmm, at Clemson? let me go to Clemson, and then now you're at Florida. Yeah, so I was at Auburn for nine years. And it was 2009, uh, I got a call from Clemson um, saying, look, we're creating a school of computing here mm-hmm. and we want to create this new division called Human Center Computing and we want you to come and lead it. Because, you know, I had, and many people thought I had created Human Center Computing because <laughs> I own humancentercomputing.com and .org. That's weird. <laughs> so okay. uh, anyway, so they said, you know, why don't you check us out? I said, no, nah, I'm, I'm having a good time at Auburn. I'm not looking at moving. <laughs> they said, well, just come give a talk. I went and gave a talk. I liked it, and they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, so I didn't refuse it. <laughs> um, I moved to Clemson, 
the difference there was now at Clemson, I had become a chair. Mm-hmm. So I had hiring authority. Mm-hmm. So not only did I bring PhD students with me, but now I could hire faculty. So what did I do? I hired went out and hired black people. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> we had uh, six black faculty at that time. That was ten percent of the nation's black computer science faculty in one place. Yep. To put that in perspective, no other place had more than two, and it was yes. only like three places that had two. Mm-hmm. So um, that was working out well. It was 2014. Um, I don't talk about like how you had like a whole box or something. Yeah. Like so, oh yeah. At the f- I missed that box. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was 2013 actually, fall 2013. I get this it call from uh, the dean here, Cami Abernathy, saying, uh, "You know, we have an initiative here at the University of Florida called Preeminence, and you've been identified as a preeminent potential faculty member. Would you be interested in checking us out and moving to Florida?" I said, no, I'm living the life here at Clemson. I'm not leaving. Right. She said, well, why don't you come and give a talk? And I said, oh, okay, I can do that. I know people there. I'll go hang out with some of my folks. Mm-hmm. I went and gave a talk. And that evening, uh, sitting at dinner with the dean, and she said, well, Juan, what would it take for you to move to F- Florida? And I said, it would take the world to move me. And she said, I think we got it. <laughs> I said, okay, I want this, 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 this. She said, yes, 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 yes. And then I asked her one thing. She said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> and the one thing I wanted a box in the football stadium. And people laugh when I tell them that, but we actually had a box in the football stadium at Clemson. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so. We uh, fight over them tickets. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was cool. I, I miss those days. But, yeah, yeah. we I didn't get the box. So. SEC football is superior. Well, I'm just going to say that. You can say that if you want to, <laughs> but having your own box is superior to that. And there was ice cream at halftime. Oh, Lord. It was so great. Yeah, it, it was real nice. Mm-hmm. But long story short, uh, we ended up uh, deciding to move, meaning myself. So at the end of the day, it ended up being um, five faculty 20 PhD students and two postdocs all moved to the University of Florida. He's making it sound so fluid. I got a phone call from him in the <laughs> middle of the night saying, guess where I am? And I'm like, uh, is this a trick question? I'm in Florida and they want me to go. I was like, I knew this was going to happen. I just knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Anyway, <laughs> so then the migration, as you see, makes sense as a terminology to describe what occurred. Mm-hmm. because. Yeah. Moving 10% of the faculty and students and students is a lot. That's a lot. And then it, and then it changed like kind of the dynamics here. Right. We moved. Yeah. Right. Like the demographics here, it was like more than double. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. For faculty and students in the college mm-hmm. of engineering. Um, so then people are always like, well, does Clemson hate one? No. So here, here's the, the backdrop to that. First of all, when we came, it made national news. And many people thought, well, that was really good for Florida. They had a great diversity effort and it made it a diversity story. Yeah. And some people, you know, talk negative of it simply because they spent more money on us that year than they did on the football team. Wow. Uh, the football team wasn't doing so well then. So <laughs> I think it was a good investment. So anyway, <laughs> but what they didn't say was we brought more than $5 million with us in mm-hmm. research. So, you know, the story was always about diversity, but they didn't talk about the research. Now, 
back to your question about Clemson. Uh, now Florida is, it has, is the number one producer of black PhDs in computing. We had the largest group. But guess who's number two? Clemson. Yes. Clemson is still doing it. So think of this. Hmm. We actually changed the culture at Clemson. Yeah. Although they didn't have black faculty, they still had black PhD students and are doing well. Now, every year we were gone, they were interviewing people, uh, black candidates, and they've hired since we've been gone. So we changed the culture there, and it stuck. So, no, they don't hate me. I, I still talk to them, and <laughs> I plan to go visit. They hired one of my Ph.D. graduates. Yep. So I'm, I'm happy with that, and it, it actually is a testament to Clemson mm -hmm. to be able to say, look, we, you know, we, we actually did this, mm -hmm. and we're going to keep doing it even if we're not there. So kudos to Clemson. Yeah. I like to refer to your lab now as um, the magical black girl lab. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what... It's so true. I mean, <laughs> there's so many black women, and it's weird, right? Because yeah. there's so many black women. Um, is that weird to you? Not at all. 22% uh, of black women in computing PhD programs in the country are here at Florida. In your lab. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's not it's weird. almost a quarter. And the thing is, it's not like you're... Actually, I will, I will say this as someone who sits in lab meetings and listens to the conversations around who we're going to recruit, how many people we're going to recruit. You're not actively saying, I want black women <laughs> to come to this lab. Right, it's but like, they just end who up Who are there. the best candidates? And it's almost like the students, they're talking, they're going to events, mm -hmm. they're sharing their experience and so we have more black women who are sending in applications and getting accepted than we do any other demographic right and 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 it, again you're you're absolutely correct i do not intentionally recruit necessarily you know black women it's just women in the lab in particular go recruit others and that's who's showing up and and it works out that way you know my my vision wasn't about you know, gender, it was about creating, remember, critical mass. Yeah. yeah. At least two at the PhD, at every stage of the PhD pipeline. And we've been successful at doing that. <laughs> I remember we had a lab meeting and one of the students, Tiffany, was like, uh, we need a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if it's any constellation, uh, this last year we brought in a man and the year before <laughs> oh we had a gosh. man. So now we have uh, men coming into the PhD program again. But you know what I think happens? I think, like you said, women tell other women, it's like, this is a safe space. Hey, girl, come over here. Mm -hmm. The water's fine, you mm -hmm. know, and it's not like anything that you're intentionally doing. But, yeah, it's black girl magic mm -hmm. in a lab. And it's great because we talk about hair, clothes, <laughs> shopping, all the things. And then yes. computer science right afterwards. And Some, it's amazing. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it was, that was one of the big things. Uh, just speaking to what Jeremy said, I'll never forget, uh, we had this deep discussion in the lab about natural hair. Wow. Because <laughs> at one point in the lab, all the women had natural, gone natural. Mm -hmm. And I thought, is there any other lab that would be having this conversation? <laughs> no. We don't even know what There's we mean no by natural. computer science lab doing that. And like, what's great is, the, all the other demographics are there and contributing to the conversation. Right. Too. It's right. not like they're not a part of the conversation. They add where they can add. Right. Did you chime <laughs> in with anything? 
Uh, not really. Uh, I know my 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 bounds. <laughs> I know that you're always like, I'm just gonna be quiet over here. <laughs> yeah, there's certain conversations I'm not touching. So that was one of them. But I enjoyed it. And and Jeremy, you're right. Uh, the the other students. That's the cool thing about the lab. The the students who come who are not black, they to me have the biggest benefit of being in the lab, because when they go out into the real world. They ain't scared of black folk. <laughs> Facts. Not at all. They can't be. Right. <laughs> They've been in that culture for like four or five years at least. Right. And I think they're more apt to hire black people as well. And it's not like, oh, I'm not sure. Is their preparation oh. all right? They're not thinking all these false right. narratives that people say. They're like, no, I've worked with them, had projects with them. And, you know, they're not saying those stupid things. Right. So a couple of years ago, we talked about creating... Something that we could disseminate across the country to help departments do what you do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I feel like there were constantly like emails coming through like, hey, Juan, I'd like to talk with you about what you're doing at Florida. We have a diversity problem in our computer science department. We don't know what to do. Right. And I think IMCS gave us a good like position to be able to create something that would be like accepted and respected in the community. But we <laughs> took forever <laughs> to get those created. Yeah. Like sitting in meetings, mm-hmm. talking about stuff. So can you talk about some of the things that we disseminated in that little publication that we sent out? Definitely. Uh, the I- IMCS guidelines for successfully mentoring black slash African-American computing sciences doctoral students. The whole point was that individuals would approach me and say, I can't find anybody. And then we find that they leave. We don't know how to recruit and retain. We're having a terrible time. Is there any guidance you can give? So based on research that we had done and our best practices, we put together these guidelines and we were able to formulate them, organize them, and then we released them to the public. We sent them to all the uh, computer science department chairs for PhD granting departments, and we put them on our website, IAAMCS.org, and we just got them out there. I had the opportunity to go talk to some departments and explain what the guidelines mean. Mm-hmm. And so they're out there, and people are using them. Yeah, and they got like support from the Council of Graduate Schools. Yes. That was a big deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. In fact, we heard uh, CGS saying these are right on. I hope everyone implements them. I mean, mm-hmm. yes. So what is in these guidelines? What What are they talking about? Is it the secret sauce? Right. What is the secret sauce? Um, I wouldn't call it the secret sauce, but it is a sauce that's good. <laughs> um, you know, so. we don't give out the secret, right, secret right. sauce. I got of you. Course, but uh, essentially, I'll tell you a few of them, uh, recruit strategically. So what people do is they go out and recruit someone, and it's someone. Mm. <laughs> uh, we recommend you recruit people in cohorts. Again, don't isolate individuals. Bring them in together with a cohort. Uh, and that goes to establishing community, retaining critical mass, the story that I talked about. Um, so we, we have guidelines around that. Foster a research culture. This is a big one. In other words, when they bring in students from underrepresented groups, 
they don't treat them like everyone else, yeah. meaning uh, let them be part of the research culture. One of the things we observed was that uh, particular black students were in PhD programs and we would pull their CV and the CV of their lab mates. Why do their CVs look different? Yeah, That should not be the case. They should be publishing just like everybody else. Should. And presenting at conferences just like everybody else. Should. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to have those experiences uh, provide holistic advising. And that goes to uh, somewhat of a, having constellations of mentors, meaning more than uh, one person giving you advice. Uh, funding is a, a understood thing they have to have. Provide them funding and promote promote professional development. That's the one thing that they often overlook, meaning for these students who are coming in and you're the only one or one of a few, they they don't think you have any any needs beyond what other students have. And sometimes it's good to have professional development. So, for example, uh, send them to the NSBC conference. Yeah. Um, send them to the Tapia conference. Let them go to these other venues, and that's important, building community. So mm -hmm. these things help. So those are the guidelines, and we've been very successful in getting those out, and now we're seeing people implement them. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And Jeremy and I made like a student-facing version of mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. guidelines, and we've presented a few places and got rave reviews, so maybe that's next. Yeah, the students get real hype. Yeah, they They're do. like, I never knew this. Like, I know, <laughs> yeah. that's why we wrote it down exactly. for you. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so we've heard about how you've done all of the things, which means that you're a very, 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 very busy person. So busy. You be going places, flying around the country. You don't like to go abroad. That's fine. You don't get to go. It's fine. <laughs> But you also have a whole family mm -hmm. and people don't really get to see that aspect of your life. Right. So like everyone has access to Juan's calendar in the lab. Yes. <laughs> and you can see it's like stuff, 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 Not stuff, just stuff, the stuff. Lab. <laughs> and then nothing. And that nothing is like probably the most important part of your day. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, that was something for me. Uh, being able to have family, it was critical for me growing up. Again, my parents weren't privileged to go to college, but family meant everything to us. Mm -hmm. And so that's just part of who I am. Uh, my wife and my, my sons, um, we spend time together. Uh, I have a son who's going to be graduating from high school in a year. Oh, my gosh, I'm not ready. I know. I'm not ready. I know. They grew up at Arcs and Nesvik, so everybody <laughs> knows the boys. Yeah. And so it's weird watching <laughs> him. He's going to be going to college. And so it's like, man, I can't believe my son's going to be leaving. So I'm trying to spend even more time with him. So, yeah, that's very important. I want them to know that although I'm busy and I do a lot, that I'm still their father and they are the most important thing in my life. So I spend time with them. We do things. Uh, so what do y'all do for fun? Yeah. Well, <laughs> they know the answer to this. My sons, ever since they were little and we were uh, at Clemson, wanted to go to Disney, wanted to go <laughs> to Orlando, Universal Studios. That is their spot. Mm -hmm. So we frequent Orlando, uh, hang out at Universal Studios. That's something they really like to do. And they're doing well in school, so I reward them. We go and we hang out there and spend a lot of time there. 
that's something they like to do. Now they're getting more sports, you know, mm-hmm. uh, track season starting and, and, you know, training is starting for track. So they're doing, they're both going to be on the track team. So we do that. But most importantly for vacation, they, if they could go anywhere in the world, they're going to say Orlando <laughs> Universal Studios. Down the street. <laughs> yeah. That's what they want to do. Yeah. And then we have Robin who yes. is the most fabulous person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and Robin, I feel like if I could be anyone, <laughs> I would be a Robin. Right? Like, she goes shopping. Oh boy. And she buys the most fantastic things <laughs> that I've ever seen. And she also apparently hides things <laughs> as yes. gifts for herself, which mm-hmm. is logical, right? Like from you. Sense. I would do that. Yeah. I would definitely Cut do that. Cut out the middleman. Yeah. 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 My wife. This she... move has been great for her. I, I Yeah. I didn't realize how great. <laughs> yeah. Things just show up and I'm like, is that new? What, is that a new dress? Is that new? No, I've been had this. Yeah, you can't <laughs> ask that. And so, yeah, she she loves Florida. Uh, people always me, so you left Auburn, went to Clemson, now you're in Florida. What's next? And I said, have you met my wife? <laughs> I'm not going right. anywhere. Going nowhere. This it's is the moving. spot. So she loves it here. But uh, yeah, we're we're enjoying Florida. Uh, it's been great for us, and I think even more great for her. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of you talked a lot about like your family and things that you all do together to unwind. But what do you do when you're just like, hey, I want to relax, like hobbies or things like that? Well, exercise is a big thing for me. Again, I play sports growing up, and so I enjoy exercising. Uh, watching movies is important for me. I love going to the movies, or I love watching a, something on the big screen at I home. I forgot you like Empire. What's your favorite movie? <laughs> uh, it's hard to say. I have a bunch. You I watch like Empire. You watch Empire? I stopped watching. It made me mad. <laughs> I can't watch it no more. They made me mad. Oh goodness! But uh, I said Tyler Perry right in this next season, like that's how bad. Yeah, it, it, it they did some things that lost me, so I couldn't mm. keep watching. Uh, but for me, uh, I like you know Marvels things, Avengers things like that. Uh, some of my favorites would be uh, I love Bad Boys too. Oh yeah, <laughs> three is coming out. Yeah, I know. So that was one of my favorites. So I'm into the sci-fi things just to just chill out and just it gives me ideas often. But uh, I, I enjoy that. The sci-fi stuff gives you. Oh, CS yeah. Ideas. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay. You just see something crazy and be like, but we can make a version of that. Like, we can't do that exact crazy thing, but I Y'all can figure out a way to real rig something nerds. together. Hey, that's, that's that's how we do. So off, don't act like you never got a text from Juan that's like, hey. Did oh. you see this? I, I think we sh- we should start this. I most write a definitely to do this. have had those messages. <laughs> I get them. Rod gets them. <laughs> but that's my practice. It's like if I have an idea, I got to tell somebody, and y'all so are we in my can inner hold circle. You accountable to do it. So that's what I do. So, are there any projects that you're super excited about right now that you're working on? Oh yeah, always. Uh, our voting project is something we've been doing for, I was just thinking about it today, it's been over 15 years. Wow. We've been working on that, and we're, we have some new stuff coming out to make elections more transparent. Uh, That's so, like half my life. Yeah. What? <laughs> the, the amount of time you've been working on that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that that's something that is a big deal. Um, so people don't know what your voting project is. Just briefly, what is your voting project? 
So uh, in 2003, we had released a system, a voting system called Prime 3. Uh, it's open source, and uh, it was the world's most accessible voting system ever created. It allows people to vote by touch and or voice. So if you can't see, if you can't hear, if you can't read, if you don't have arms, you can vote on the same machine as anyone else. Uh, this That's amazing. This technology has translated and transferred into practice. Uh, the state of New Hampshire uses our technology. They adopted it. They call it one for all. Uh, Butler County, Ohio uses it. And then the nation's largest voting machine manufacturer called ESNS, mm -hmm. they created a, a machine called the Universal Express Vote that was modeled after our technology. Wow. And then I discovered uh, recently Dominion, the second largest voting system manufacturer, created a machine um, recently <laughs> called ImageCast Prime X. <laughs> really? For 10. Yeah, and then we saw it, and it looks just like our work. Wow. So um, wow. Th think about that. We have actually... I've had a, probably about 25 to 35 students work on this project over the years. And we've actually changed the way voting will be done in the United States of America. And we did that. that's why you met Barack Obama. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know, does he have soft hands? Oh, my God. Oh, I don't even remember. I, I, it was so cool. I don't remember. I shook his hand once and he was running. You're weird. So I know the answer to that. So weird. <laughs> All right, so another lab project that is pretty exciting. Um, we were sitting in the lab one day uh, about two years ago, and a lot of my students were looking sad. And I asked them, what's the matter? I'm tired of you know black people being shot by the cops, in particular being pulled over and being shot. So I said, well, why don't we do something about that? So we got in the lab, came up with this idea. It's called the virtual traffic stop. So it's a technology uh, that is aimed at de-escalating tension between law enforcement and drivers. So the idea is you have this app on your phone and you use this app to take a picture of your driver's license, proof of insurance, and vehicle registration. And then you would put in the tag number for the car, make model year and tag number for the cars you're driving. Now when you get pulled over, uh, you open your app, and then you're able to send that information to the law enforcement or a police officer behind you. And then they send to you a picture of the, the law enforcement officer, badge ID information. And then they press a button and starts a video conference between the law enforcement officer and the driver. And if you're underage or something, you can three-way in another person to the video conference. So if the officer has to get out of the car and approach your car, they know who you are what you're doing, and it de-escalates the situation. So that's one of our uh, our technologies that's that we created. And there's other stuff we've done, but all the stuff we work on deals with people, technology, policy, culture, and making a difference in society. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about, like, being there, you know, like being in the lab. I remember that conversation mm -hmm. where, I mean, it was just heavy and for like something that's potentially could be used in, at scale, like across the country. I mean, right. it's still heavy, right? Yeah. Like when we think about police shootings and stuff like that in this country and how many of them are preventable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's a team good. of black women yes. that did this. Yep. Shout out to the traffic stop team. Yeah. All right. Did you have any know. other... <laughs> 
projects you wanted to highlight? I'll give you one more uh, that we were working on. It deals with bias and AI. So oh, yeah. you hear a lot about that these days. <laughs> They're using machine learning and AI to make decisions. What's AI? Artificial intelligence. Okay. And so what you find is that sometimes these things have a bias towards certain demographics. So we're doing some research on to break down those biases. And we have software that we're testing that can diversify the views of software. Mm. Mm. So even if the people creating the software are biased, the machine won't be. Right. That's a goal. We're working on that. Stay tuned. Yeah. So for people who don't know, computers make decisions based on the way that the programmer who made the computer told it to make decisions. So inherently, if it has this bias from the person who made it, this is a way to circumvent all of that. Yes. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, we're early in, but uh, so far our results are promising. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? No, but I will say uh, I want to send a shout out to you all for the podcast. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I want to make sure that people understand the importance of the podcast. Again, it goes back to our fundamental principles of community. And by you all giving examples, I often say if they if they can see it, they can be it. And having black women uh, being role models and being able to be seen in your positions is so critical, even at stages in, in colleges and universities. People don't understand that even at HBCUs, you know, the majority of faculty in STEM and HBCUs, in particular in computer science, are not black. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Well, many people don't yeah, know people that. people don't know that, though. That's not a widespread thing. Yeah, it's yeah. just assumed that it's HBCU to say all the faculty are black. And that's like just not... black teachers. Yeah, it's just not true. <laughs> so I think... I don't know whose voice that was. Yours. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who I was imitating. <laughs> so the impact of this podcast cannot be underestimated. So uh, I appreciate what you're doing. And thank you. Well, Thanks thank for letting you. us do yeah, it. Yeah, thank you for coming here and telling your story and letting us use you as another example. And uh, also, where can folks find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Juan Gilbert. And I'm in LinkedIn. Just search for Juan Gilbert. And you can find me at JuanGilbert.com. Cool. Well, shout out to the fam. thanks for being here with us today. yeah thank you so much we know you're super busy and we really appreciate it thank you as always you can find us on our website at modernfigurespodcast.com where you can also purchase items from our online store send us questions via email at ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com the podcast is also on social media just search for modern figures podcast and you can find kyla and i on twitter kyla is at dr underscore kyla And I'm at Jeremy Waysa. Until next time, stay hydrated, moisturized, and protect your peace. peace.